Red on Red. This week on the podcast, we're joined by Aaron McGowan of Cork Alt Poppers Lolek. lads going to get the recognition they deserve, huh? Tell me that. Fucking clowns.
effort. And Laurie Shaw with Chaos Kisses. This is Red on Red, Cork's new music podcast, dropping every Wednesday evening via Cork's Red FM and redextra.ie. We're also available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify and other podcasting apps. My name is Mike McGrath-Brien and this week we're joined in studio by one of the heads behind Cork alt-pop project Lolek and Booker of First Fridays at the Corner House Pub on Coburg Street, Mr. Aaron McGowan. How's it going? Not too bad, not too bad. You've just released a new single from Lolek, Sink In, available now across all streaming services, uh, plus a launch gig happening at the Roundy on July 12th. How are you feeling about it? Pretty good. Um, it took a lot of effort because I did all the recording myself um, which is a kind of a double-edged sword because I love the amount of creative uh, freedom that it gives you, but also your y- y- the fact that you can spend as long as you want on it is also a bit of a curse because then there's you know staying up till five in the morning and tweaking and tweaking and tweaking and tweaking and tweaking, avoiding the micromanagement. Yeah, yeah. Master <laughs> one, two, final mix. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the curse yeah. of it. Um, so and, and it's very hard to uh, it's very hard to incentivize yourself to actually put a hard deadline when you do it all yourself. Yeah. Um, so actually, <laughs> the only thing that um, the only thing that really forced me to finish it was I said that I wasn't going to buy Red Dead Redemption Two until I finished that single. And <laughs> because you that rootin' tootin' cowboy shooting. Exactly. <laughs> and I knew that if I bought it, then all my time would be devoted to that. Yeah. So um, no, I'm I'm very happy. I was very happy with the result. Now I must say. Um, uh, especially when you do when you do the recordings yourself, you know you spend a few years, you know, messing around, and uh, sometimes you get something sounding good, and you don't quite understand why. It's only after the, doing it for the last few years, I'm, it's it's finally starting to this single in particular, in terms of the mixing <clears throat> and the mastering, finally started to make sense as uh, in terms of how to actually get it sounding yeah. good, you know, or palatable. That whole process of connecting the dots began with you. As a young man in a musical family, uh, more so than anything else, um, I'm going to let you tell the full story regarding your earliest influences and experiences. But suffice it to say, uh, music is in the genes. Yeah, um, like my my parents owned the the Corner House Pub, um, so there'd be a big musical influence there. Um, it's a serious trad haven. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not sure how much trad influence you'd be hearing in the kind of stuff we do, but I definitely that'd be a big. I'd be be a big tread head <laughs> the root of a lot of musicality uh, yeah. in younger musicians mm. and I suppose a lot of it, it wasn't even strictly uh, tread that we do I mean we had uh, there's bluegrass nights there's tread nights there's uh, blues nights so it's all relatively um, folky in some kind of way or another like so that would that would have been definitely uh, an influence how did you come across your own influences then in terms of like what started appealing to you what kind of a crossover was there between that kind of rootsy environment that you were kind of raised up in and how you started kind of striking off on your own first of all as a listener one assumes and then secondarily as a musician um i'm not sure uh a lot of it was i mean like um i'd say most of the biggest influences was stuff that i just dug out and listened to myself like you know Mm. um laurie anderson would be a huge influence um tom waits um and just that kind of like all of them being somewhat uh I, I suppose all of them are artists that have that um, the same kind of process where they're totally involved and they have almost complete creative control over what they're doing. Like yeah. so, um, I mean, when the band started, it was uh, it wasn't actually a band; it was just me with mm. my laptop with Audacity and some terrible uh, drum machine. And, and initially, I was so scared of uh, I, w- I was so scared of the critique that I might get from friends or whatever that I started this anonymous fake uh, Facebook profile. 
mm. just started adding some random people in the in the US and put my stuff up on SoundCloud and then kind of used that as a um yeah a kind of a, a, a secret anonymous side project. Yeah. Uh, I'd say it was only after about a year of that that I uh, that I got the nerve to actually transfer it into <laughs> into something that into, lives locally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> into we'll, more public domain. We'll talk about that a little later on uh, after some tunes, but let's just kind of dial it back to the corner house for a little mm. bit. Um as you said, a trad haven world-renowned among folkheads <laughs> and one of the biggest draws in Cork City when it comes to a point of contact with local culture for people mm. coming through the doors for the first time or coming into the city mm. for the first time. Maybe take us a little bit into the experience of growing up amid all of that happening. You know, you're living above the pub, one mm. assumes. Yeah. And, you know, like as anyone that's lived in a business, lived in a pub, lived above a shop, etc., will let you know, you know, that's part of your day-to-day. That's 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 you with your shoulder to the wheel from a very, very young age. Mm. Kind of outline a little bit, I suppose, how, you, you know, your perspective on how the music, not only how music works, but how, you know, the licensing business works, mm. how, you know, session musicianship mm. kind of comes together. Just just outline, I suppose, for a little bit about growing up and all that. Like, I suppose, uh, it's something, something like... Uh, it's always as well like the thing you're most familiar with is probably the thing you're going to analyse the least but it's it's funny now that you say that I suppose one thing that growing up in the pub would have had a big uh, impact on is the idea that if you're in a business it kind of demystifies somewhat this idea that uh, I don't know how, how, could I, how, how could I describe it that like oh, uh, you know, for example, oh, I want to start playing music. Oh, but I couldn't do that because only proper musicians do that. No, I, you know, I don't know anything about the world. The, yeah. the, growing up in a pub, there was, you know, the, the the veil was lifted a little bit. You know, it was demystified. So, And even in terms of setting up gigs, you know, when there's gigs and um, it's not this unknowable thing that has to be done through completely <laughs> professional channels. Like, you know, growing up, you just see, oh, somebody wants to play a gig in the pub. They bring in a PA and they play. That's literally, you know, that's all that's involved and a bit of gumption, yeah. you know. So I suppose that would probably be the uh, the biggest way that that had an influence on me. Um, and just being exposed to ridiculously good musicians. I mean, they're all world-class musicians that play in there uh, under very casual circumstances, you know. it's it's. Uh, so I was definitely spoiled in that regard. Um just in terms of the in terms of the music musicianship as well that I was that I was exposed to. Um just in terms of the players they're all like i can't emphasize just how good they are you know mm. um yeah and you know i got to i got to be exposed to a wide variety of music um like i said you know just bluegrass there there's uh, but there, there was always these occasional album launches and stuff that was a little bit more out there so yeah there was very few things i didn't get to see just growing up there you were able then to take not only your understanding of how music operated and i suppose your your early on-the-job training, but also the influence of those sporadic out-there album launches mm. and kind of channel them into your earliest creative ventures. Mm. Um, early teenage band aside, the two kind of outfits that you're best remembered from, aside from Lolek, are, first of all, kind of... It's it, it's it's hard to put a genre on Daphne in the Attic. Oh, my Psych God, yeah. pop yeah. uh, <laughs> seems to be the thing that kind of fits. A bit more idyllic than side pop. Yeah. Uh, and then thereafter, uh, Doom Psychers, the Vincents. <laughs> uh, I'm going to let you plead the fifth regarding your experiences with both outfits. But I suppose, <laughs> how did you take that earliest experience into, I suppose, your nascent creative state? Well, Daphne in the Attic was definitely very, very, um, v- very important in terms of learning anything about the ropes of the music business which I really didn't know aside mm. from the you know the relatively 
you know, more low-key kind of uh, gigs and stuff that we have in the corners, but in terms of the actual PR side of things and, uh, you know, press releases and getting an EP recorded and photo shoots and all that, that was something I didn't know anything about until until dealing with it, in, you know, in Daphne in the Attic. So that was very, very helpful. Uh, and getting to play gigs, it was my first time ever playing gigs outside the, you know, around the country and stuff. So, yeah. um, um, and even more so with the Vincents. I mean, we definitely were spoiled with some of the gigs that we got to play. Um, and and funny enough as well, with Daphne in the Attic and the Vincents, it, I, I somehow ended up playing in a band where uh, I loved the, the sound and the influences of the band, but I hadn't, I had yet to actually listen to them. So that was great. You know what I mean? It was it was incredibly novel. So you're taking this in via proxy. You're talking yeah, about influence exactly. on your music, stuff like the Shags in one aspect and then in another, yeah. the kind of the really kind of heavy almost doom metallic tones yeah. of some of the stuff that with the Vincents because I mean like um, you know I, I'm not that I'm loath to say it but I'm kind of awkward enough to say it considering the band is over and done with now but mm-hmm. I still listen a lot it's still on my kind of regular rotation is uh, Song for the Sea oh yeah and um, the mix that you did with Courtney Taylor Taylor of yeah. Dandy Warhols was organised via FIFA Records still contains to this day some of the filthiest bass tones I've heard on local <laughs> recordings yeah um Going from Daphne in the Attic was an independent band to the Vincents where there was management and such involved and you learned to kind of get the ropes that way. For that band eventually came to its kind of natural conclusion. Kind of what are your thoughts now on the whole experience the first time around for you? Um, it's just very formative, you know. Um, I definitely have a lot of appreciation for the patience of our manager. <laughs> um, um it's just funny. It's it's just funny to see all the stuff that's involved. Uh, things that you wouldn't. Um, it was great, actually. I'll tell you what. Uh, being in a band like that, where you're playing all these big gigs, it's a great uh, lesson in all the things that can potentially go wrong <laughs> in terms of car- <laughs> Murphy's Law. Yeah, cars breaking <laughs> down and uh, etc. Um, so that's something that I'm 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 very diligent now with ourselves. It, some might say obsessive <laughs> about making sure that we're kind of prepared for any eventualities. Experience so, is a harsh teacher. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and just in terms of the yeah, musically, I'd say the biggest influence or, or the biggest thing that I took from the Vincents was m- musically, because like I said, I wouldn't have been exposed to that kind of music and just those you know those rattly. Um, Spring reverb, guitar tones, and everything. Yeah, I just I loved all that. So it was totally novel for me. When we come back, we're going to talk about the steps that you took after the Vincents. But first, we're going to go to some tunes. Earlier on, we heard from O Emperor and Laurie Shaw, two bands that are very much kind of in a counterpart vein to what you're attempting to do with Lolek, albeit from different perspectives. Two bands that are kind of contemporaneous to the things that you're shooting for with mm-hmm. the Lolek project. Uh, you have the Great Balloon Race with Weekend Girl. Oh, I love that song. Yeah. I mean, I would have uh, I would have played in the Vincents with Marcus Gordon mm-hmm. before, so there'd be that connection there. But uh, And we, we were lucky to have them. We were lucky to have the Great Balloon Race in one of the first, in the last Friday in the month gigs that we do in the Corner House. Um, and it, I felt like it was the it was a proper baptism of that gig, you know, yeah. that session. It was packed, you know, the, the, the gig was great. Um, and it was just a testament, like, it, it's a testament that you can have those kind of... Uh, you can have those kind of gigs and you can have those kind of venues, uh, you know, for alternative original music yeah. in Cork. There's no shortage of bands and there's definitely no shortage of talent. And it was just a kind of the perfect storm of the fact that, you know, some of the equipment that I would have owned anyway, because as being a sound engineer, you know, I have my lights, I have my, we have a, you know, I have a nice desk there, um, nice PA, mics and stuff. The stage is there, 
mm-hmm. the space is there. Uh, I found, especially with the with the Great Balloon Race, a lot of the demographic of people that would go to see them were just drinking in the corner house anyway. Yeah. So I just said, why why would you not do it? You know, mm. especially because I'm happy to do the I'm happy to do the lights. I'll do the sound, and if they want visuals made, I'll do that. You know, um, and probably I don't know. One of the things, um, actually, I'll tell you one of the greatest lessons uh, uh, in terms of what you were saying earlier about uh, growing up in the corner house really teaches you how far. It goes if you just are nice to the musicians. If you just it go that little, even just the tiniest little thing, like you know, getting them around at drinks or just yeah. just being cordial with them. You know, it just you know, musicians. And I say this even about myself: we're flighty and we're temperamental. Mm-hmm. Uh, just that little bit of security and just uh, anything that you can do to to make it clear that there is like an appreciation for what they're doing that will just it, it, all parties involved will be so much better as a result of it like you know a little bit of humanity goes a long way and we'll talk a little bit about the Friday bookings at the Corner House in a, in a while you also have Annie Block with Records and Rabbits mm. she played the one of the last Fridays recently actually and that was a, was a stunning gig it was such a good gig um, I like I, I, I'm lucky especially with the last Fridays I'm lucky in that from doing sound in a few different places, I, you know, every now and again, and I'll see some original band that I've never heard before, and I'll be like, "That's great! I'm going to get them in the corner house if they'll, if they'll, you know, if if they're interested in doing it." Um, and I don't, th- I don't think there's been a single dud yet. Do you know what I mean? I don't think there's been a single time and it hasn't worked out. Um, when you put on the stuff you want to see, yeah, you know. I mean, it's it's uh, it's basically it's just like a kind of a playground for myself I'm, I'm really spoiled because with the stage there you know I'm, I get to bring in um, if I get to bring in bands that I love and that I would listen to and go to a gig uh, anyway mm-hmm. uh, put them on in the comfort of this place that I you know that I grew up in that, I, that I'm comfortable with treat them well you know give them some drinks pay them pay them well and there's enough of a crowd there that they it covers the band and more then yeah no you know everybody wins absolutely everybody wins so i'm just delighted that people have been so diligently coming to the gigs because that's the only thing i can control you know um but luckily it hasn't been an issue so far when we come back we're going to talk a little bit about how lodic has come together and last fridays at the corner house but first this is the great balloon race with weekend girl here on red on red
bloke with records and rabbits live this is red on red cork's new music podcast and we are still joined in studio by aaron mcgowan of the corner house and lolek before we went to tunes there we were talking a little bit about your time growing up in the venue and early bands your experiences with daphne in the attic and later the vincents lead you to kind of strike out on your own for a little bit and embrace um just having yourself to yourself for 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 a little while and thus lolek is born 
Maybe talk to us a little bit about the experience of setting up for yourself, kind of mastering the, that process of individual songwriting. And I suppose, like you were talking about earlier, nailing that balance between artistic freedom and, you know, self-indulgence. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a hard one, all right. It's, uh, I, I'd say st- it's staying objective is probably the hardest thing. If you do, especially in terms of a mix and, and just in terms of songwriting, it's so hard to be doing it all yourself and then to to be to have an, an objective idea of what somebody who's listening to it for the first time is going to hear not the not hear all these extra layers that you've been adding on because you've heard the song a hundred times and have gotten sick of how uh, simple it is because you've heard it so many times and then you end up complicating it overcomplicating it so somebody listening to it for the first time is overwhelmed you know yeah um, you do have to be really disciplined generally I find you know there is there is times in terms of mix or in terms of recording where you'll be you'll sit down and you'll just you know you'll say I'm not leaving until I'm getting this sounding better than it is and it does work but in general I don't know I find it's it, just with recording it's it's whatever uh, you'll know straight away if something is working or if it's sounding good you know if you if you play if you try something different or you try a different instrument you're like oh maybe I'll get rid of this and put this in you'll immediately know yeah. whether it's working if you have to convince yourself if you have to listen to it again and again and be like, uh, yeah, I think it's it's I think it's good. Yeah, it is good, isn't it? Question mark. Then it's you know it's not. It really isn't. Like, mm. And you should never be afraid to, uh, especially when you're recording stuff yourself. Do not be afraid to. No matter how long you've worked on something, if it doesn't sound good, bin it. Just yeah. get rid of it. If you're not feeling it, it's, chances are nobody else will. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But in terms of recording aside and kind of management of time, etc the sitting down and kind of dealing with the voices, dealing with everything else and eventually kind of finding your own groove. What was it like, I suppose, to not have others keep you in check regarding the themes and ideas and and oh. and, 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 I, and the general vibe of the project? It's absolutely excellent. I'm totally drunk on my own power. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm, I mean, I, I am a total control freak when it comes to the creative side of things, so I couldn't... Um, I have gotten I've gotten better. I've softened up a little bit now, but like, you know, in terms of uh you know, in terms of music videos or anything, I just I have to have the final say on it, do you know yeah. what I mean? Cuz you know yourself, you know it's it's um you have to be the one. Nobody else is going to enforce your unified vision for what it is that you want, like, you know. You have sometimes you do have to be a bit of a pain in the ass. Um and you have to and in the same way that I was saying if you if you do a recording and it doesn't work out, bin it doesn't matter if you pay however much for a video and then you're not happy with it don't use it you know if you get some graphic design work and you're not happy with it just don't use don't it use you it. know what I mean um, now the hard thing with that is to try and reconcile actually putting out stuff <laughs> with also trying to keep your standard high yeah. you know in terms then of getting the project together for its debut live excursions um, finding people to play with that would recognise your vision and help you realise it and essentially just taking it from, you know, a studio project to whipping the songs into shape with those people and taking out. What was that whole process like for you? It is it is definitely strange when you take something that's your baby and that you're, you know, you, you, you're used to the, the version that you have recorded or that you have written and, you know, you, you, you do, you absolutely have to be a little bit... Uh, that's that's something that I that wasn't always the case, but I'm you know I am starting to learn. You do have to be a little bit flexible in terms of you give it to your band, and you do you know fair enough. You have an idea of oh this is the way that the song is played, but you can't be too 
you can't be too restrictive you know yeah. like I'm lucky enough I've been very lucky in that all the musicians that have um, uh, have decided to play with me um, they're all top notch players like and I'm, I'm it's one of these things where you're always kind of still you're always kind of wondering how you've managed to convince them <laughs> how you've managed to continually trick them into playing with you but so you, so you know you take your you take your song once you give it to them, you kind of just, you know, if they want to mess around a little bit or if they want to change this little thing here, you kind of have to let them, you know. If, if uh, otherwise, why would you why would you trust them to be playing with you in the first place, you know? Mm. Um, yeah, but it, it, yeah, so there is that little kind of transition um, going from this precious thing that you've agonised over to somebody else's interpretation of it. Has that affected your creative process then going forward you know as a songwriter writing for a band as opposed to just the multiple tracks that flesh out what you're hearing in your head and how would you say that your creative process has changed from then to there it definitely does make a difference once you start you know once it goes from recording to a band you do start to realise not to be overusing these kind of studio tricks like layering everything up and doing this and putting this little thing in here Mm. Um, at the very start uh, from when it was that kind of anonymous project when it was first brought to a band it was very difficult because I realised all of these recordings that I'd done oh wait there's not enough people to play all these little bits you know so you'd have to kind of uh, initially it was a lot of kind of compromising and you know stuff was missing and it's like oh it doesn't sound as good as a recording until eventually it clicks you're like no I need to start writing it for people that actually exist (laughs) you Mm. know lines and parts for people that exist and once you start doing that it does it's, it's far more rewarding you know because uh, the tunes have taken a little bit of a turn for the poppy in recent times, and that's yeah. I, is is that a byproduct of that kind of live immediacy? Do you think? I think so. Yeah, it's not it's not intentional. It's gas. I wouldn't have. Uh, um, do you know what? Do you know what? One thing uh, is that I I was almost allergic to to the idea that I might be playing something that was even slightly poppy. So mm. what I used to do was I'd write the tunes. There was a period where, and I still do like those recordings, but there was a period where I would write the songs. And they'd sound nice, and then I'd say, "No, that that sounds far too nice." And then I just muddy it up, <laughs> and I'd make it slightly more out there. But it ended up kind of being to the detriment of the tunes. Mm. And it was—it's only recently it, it wasn't a deliberate effort to make stuff poppier. But I just started saying, "If I write something and I like the sound of it, then that's it. Leave it alone." And it, that in, coincidentally ended up—you know—they ended up sounding a bit more polished, like so. Um, yeah, because it's gas. I, I think everyone, uh, uh, as a musician, um, you're always so worried. You're like, oh, God, is this pop music? Is this just, like, unashamed pop music? And then you realize, no, like, most, uh, even even the most poppy stuff that we do, I don't think would be considered, like, up there with the Beebs or something. Yeah. Like, you know, so you, you do have to, one of the biggest things, I don't know, in terms of songwriting is starting to be a little bit easier on yourself in terms of, like, Look, if it's a little bit cheesy here and there, look, that's fine. You know, some of the best things are. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, and and even that that new song, like it's it's got a, it's the 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 new song, the single sink in. It's got a beat. Originally, I wrote it as this kind of polyrhythmic thing, and then eventually, as I was adding stuff to it, I was like, it's not really fitting in. And eventually, I conceded to the drum beat that I had in my head. Yeah. Originally, from the start but didn't want to concede to because I thought it might be too poppy. And then once I put that in, I was like, oh, it's, it's a million times better. Like, you know. If you're feeling something, you're feeling something. Yeah, absolutely. Not necessarily do so. We'll hear that new single a little bit later on, but first we're going to go to some more tunes. You've got Hanora George with This Mighty Load. Yeah, that's um, 
uh, there's a little bit of bias here because this is uh, this is someone I I recorded this tune, but it's uh, uh, Martina Stafford is her name. Uh, Hanora George is like her stage name, but it's, mm. she's an amazing singer and an amazing songwriter. So that's that's something I did off her EP. Um, no, it's a great song. It's a great song. It's actually funny because when I from mixing it and mastering it. Uh, by the time I was finished with it, I never wanted to hear it again. <laughs> uh, but is that often the case? Oh yeah, yeah. Now this, but it, when I listened to it just before this podcast, I was like, it's been long enough now that I can finally enjoy it mm. anew. It very much is the case, though. I mean, you do know. you feel that way about your own stuff? Then, oh yeah, at a certain point, like when is something done to you? What's the kind of time between something being hot off the griddle and being a CD that you pick up, you know, however much later, and you accept it? as a finished thing oh it's so long it's so long it's way too long because <laughs> the thing is you get all the fun stuff done first you know you put down your put down your drums and then you put the bass and stuff and then gets to the vocals and the vocals are a bit tricky because you know um, you got to make sure your your voice is you know all, all soft and you got to make sure you're in the right frame of mind to do it and you got to make sure the takes are good and you will do a lot of the mixing as you're recording but like this one especially to get it up to a certain standard there's lots of just mixing it. You're like, okay, it's 99% done. But that last 1% is actually probably 40% of the whole process. Back and forth, yeah. saving the WAVs. Yeah, absolutely. Mix one, mix two, final mix this time, etc. Yeah. Final, 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 final mix. That MP3. <laughs> or that WAV. You also have The Altered Hours with Virgin Sleeve. Yeah, yeah. That'd be my favourite. I don't know what it is about that song in particular, but that's why it's my favorite song off there. That that album, um, uh, In Heat, Not Sorry. Yeah, it's so, it's just so everything, and that the recording and the production is just so, so soft, and it's it's like having Vaseline rubbed in your ears or something. I just I love it. <laughs> I love that song. That's the whole kind of feel of that album in its slower points, but then it's so wiry, mm. kind of when it gets to moving as well, like in Way of Sorrow. Mm. And we'll hear from them momentarily. But first, this is Hanora George with this mighty load here, on Red on Red. This life is mine And I'd like To lie down I can no longer see Past the walls Surrounding me There's a cross on my shoulder That I'd like to drop into the sea
The Alton Hours with Virgin Sleeve, taken from In Heat, Not Sorry, available via streaming services on Art for Blind and Penske. This is Red on Red, still joined in studio by Aaron McGowan of Lolek and The Corner House. Before we went to music, we were talking a little bit about Lolek and just kind of how you use The Corner House as a little bit of a base. 
uh, for your musical activities. Um, you also talked a little bit in depth about how the last Friday's idea came together. Kind of, you talked about identifying a gap in the local scene for venues and what have you. But talk to us a little bit, I suppose, about pitching it to your family because, again, with the corner house, very much steeped in tradition and roots music. Was it much of a hard sell to kind of get it past, you know, the whole crew there to bring slightly noisier, slightly more out-of-the-way stuff? Not too hard. It wasn't actually too difficult um, because we had played there a few times. Mm. So I feel like the the seal was broken a little bit there. Like, you know, um, there was, you know what I mean? I was nervous at the start because I didn't want to... I didn't want to just be taking over the place, you know, and I didn't want to necessarily bring, um, uh, I didn't want to so shift the demographic that like everyone else that would be in there otherwise would just leave, you know. Yeah. And it just was just a pure, beautiful coincidence <laughs> that, like I said, the people that a lot of the people that would be coming to these gigs just come in the corner house anyway. Yeah. So nobody was nobody was acting up, you know. Nobody. There was no trouble. There was no. Uh, there was nothing like that. So it just, it, you know. It, it just worked and I was absolutely delighted and I've, I've I've been absolutely delighted that there hasn't been any kind of conflict going on there like you know um, so we'd have yeah I mean we'd have so much music and we'd have so many different types of music there that like, like you know the only reason that you wouldn't do something like this is either if you don't have the space for it which we do you don't have the equipment which we do you don't have you know I suppose a lot of the time that one thing that might be prohibitive is that you have to budget for an engineer but this is Aha. just my, you know what I mean? It's my family strikes again. Yeah, free labor. <laughs> yeah, it's a labor of love. Like so, yeah. Um, you know, it's my little baby. It's a little pet project, so I don't mind. Yeah. Um, and one of the things as well is that I wanted it to be a night where people would be provided for in the way that I would love to if I was playing a gig somewhere. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Um, that kind of that kind of philosophy. Kind of looking at it first of all from the perspective of a pet project, you know. Where do you see there being room for growth for things like this? Specifically at a time where, you know, the town has kind of been robbed for venues. The big art centres, the big community art centres are gone. They're mm-hmm. casualties of the property market. May or may not be sure if uh, things are going to replace them eventually. Although we do have a nice line now in vacant lots and rubble yeah. piles. Um, so, you know, last Friday's comes in as like any, like, comes in right as, you know, forums for creativity are needed. Um Talk to us a little bit, though, about where you might see it going. Like, where would you ultimately like to take the venture if all is in all? I mean, it is always, you know, as far as um, as far as far I'm concerned, it is a corner house thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's my little... Because I wouldn't be able to... That level of freedom and the level of hospitality that you can provide isn't something that I'd necessarily be able to guarantee if it was just somewhere completely different, you know? Yeah. And there is the, that element of familiarity. It's it's kind of like a country pub, you know? So it's yeah. it's supposed to be... Supposed to be relatively casual. Um, I just want to keep getting. I literally just want to keep it at the level of the standard of the bands that we've had there already, which is has been bafflingly good. You yeah. know, it's just um, and the hand that selects them. Let's let's mm. let, let's call a spade a spade. Like, yeah, yeah. If you're putting yeah. on what you want to see, you're not going to go far wrong regarding regarding finding your gang. Exactly. Yeah. And as well, it's just a testament. I, I mean, part of the reason that we've been able to make such a good go of it is because there is such a there is such a um, there has been such a purge of all these venues for alternative bands, you know, mm. uh, and especially at the size in terms of just the crowd size that we that that you can fit in there. It's about a hundred cap or so standing. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, even but but it's it's the sh- the way that it's shaped as well. 
it's a kind space in that if there's 30 or 40 people there, it'll look busy. Yeah. If there's 100 people and they're all going out the door, it'll look busy. So you're never going to be playing to this cavernous, <laughs> empty, <laughs> empty space. space. Like, you know. Um, so Because that can be so unforgiving at a certain stage of a band's development as well if they're booked before absolutely. they're ready for a bigger place. Especially, or, or these places where you could get 100 or 200 people in and it still looks empty. <laughs> that's, yeah. That, you know, that's doing no favours for anyone. Nobody at the back bar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but um, like, there's no denying the enduring appeal of the corner house itself. I mean, it's iconic. You walk into the place and it's immediately recognisable. Everyone knows the layout. They know what the vibe is. They know how the feel is. They walk in past all those posters and out to that kind of gnarled wooden bar that kind of faces you as you <laughs> yeah. come right in. I suppose, what do you feel is that magic thing about the pub that keeps people coming back? What do you think is the enduring thing about the corner house I think like I'm loving all these kind words I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna blush I'm blushing on behalf of the corner house here um, I want 10% of bars for all these gigs going forward yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I suppose one of the things uh, I definitely I definitely owe to my father in terms of the, the kind of with these last writers the, the philosophy that he seems to have in that cultivating it as just this incredible site of music where where it's not in, where it's not entirely uh, obviously the bar is a business but in terms of the music side of things that's meant um, that's uh, born of a labour of love it's not financially driven you know what I mean so there's amazing there's there's people there's musicians that would come in there and sit down um, just casually just they, they might have finished a gig somewhere else they might have played they might have been playing to 500 people and they'll just come in and sit down and just have a nice you know they'll just batter out some tunes and it's just I'd like to think it's as a result of that kind of casual nature and the fact that it is so clear that it is that we love music there you yeah. know and and it doesn't matter you know there's few exceptions it, it doesn't really matter what kind of music it is if if it's if it's um if it's done with enough sincerity it it, it you can do it in the corner house do you know what I mean like so um we've really been spoiled with all the musicians there of all of all um of all uh, varieties and all genres um, and that's one of the things that I tried to with first Friday or the last Friday um, to keep that kind of uh, philosophy going you know we're mentioning that it comes along right at the right time but it's not as if there aren't other people also trying to kind of weld spaces for music mm. and for creativity in the city kind of post property crash how do you feel about the overall venue scenario in town and you know Amid the expansion of the city boundaries and, you know, changing consumption patterns, etc. Where do you feel the venue situation is going for original art and left to field DJs? I'm not really sure. It's it's a tough thing because, you know, the, the I say this as a, you know, I say this as the son of a publican. Like it's, it's you know, it, it, the price of drink is so expensive, like, you know, uh, and all these, all these venues where people like, like we did our, album launch a few years ago in the Camden uh, Arts uh, Centre. Uh, it was the second edition of it where you were playing in what is now the kitchen of an apartment block. Yes, exactly. That's the, that's the one. Boo! Yeah. <laughs> and it's such a pity all of those places have gone and all these places where it was kind of bring your own beer but you'd pay and you'd have your own security and stuff. They're all been cracked down on, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's not really... I don't really know. There's all these mid-level venues you know, where it's not a tiny, tiny room, but it's also like, you know, if you, you, you want to play a gig where you don't want to have to get 500 people to come to it, 
there's such a such an absence of 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 those kind of venues. Um, I'm not really sure what's. In, I'm, I can't uh, attest to what would be involved in amending that. Uh, I don't know. If someone wins the Euro Millions, <laughs> just buy up all these empty lots. Turn Man, them the minute ladies. I win the Euro Millions, I'm buying out the quad. I don't care. <laughs> People from the Bowery are listening. You know, get your contracts out. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that was a great spot, actually. It was. Yeah, you'd have to rebrand it for modern days, though. You can't just be yeah. putting up the old fucking sign again. And <laughs> the tape lampshades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Such a good spot. It was. Yeah. And the sound in there was brilliant. It was. Because it was Keith was in there doing it. So, um, And he's some sham. Yeah. Absolutely. He really is. He's, he's somebody for getting the best out of whatever he's given to him. Absolutely. And that's how he's like, that. that's really kind of set him instead for for the level that he's at now inside in CSM. Absolutely. And the practice that he's up to as well. Yeah. No, he's, he's something else. He's very, very accommodating. Um, and usually, you know, usually... Not as a rule, but just in general, you'll find you know the some of the really good sound engineers are extremely cantankerous, and some of the really relaxed engineers are not very good. He's really relaxed and really good. Striking <laughs> you know? the balance and then getting it right. Joe Q in Cypress Avenue is another lad as well that yes. is just absolutely perfect. He was mm-hmm. an engineer for my gigs in Fred Zeppelin's for years, and I could trust him with anything that we were being thrown, and he just knock it out. Mm-hmm. That is a man with patience. Keith Lancey's yeah. a man with patience, and I think that's just kind of a rare breed that came from that wave of small indie venues yeah. or independent venues in Cork City yeah because as a sound engineer you you have to be you have to keep calm because you're just going to make your life like there's so much there's so many uh, variations there's so many things that can go wrong bands can show up late and gear can break and you know like I said musicians are flighty they're temperamental if you're cam, it'll just make your life so much easier. <laughs> but there are some engineers I've seen over the years now that make themselves big in an attempt to just kind of be left alone for the weekend. <laughs> I mean, I suppose whatever works for them. Um, mm. But you, you know, I, I suppose fair enough. When you get up to a high level, you can you might be able to get away. Well, no, because if you're at a, I don't know if you're at a low level, uh, you're doing smaller venues. People probably aren't. You know, the bands mightn't be as big. They're probably going to be even more nervous. Yeah. So they're probably going to respond even more. Um, uh, they're, you're going to cultivate their nerves even more yeah. by being like that. If you're in a big venue and you're like that, then somebody who's famous is going to is going to probably going to get you fired. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's just I don't relationships know. are everything in the music. Absolutely. Business. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the upcoming gig upstairs in the Roundy, July twelfth. Uh, but first, we're going to go back to some more tunes. You have Elaine Malone. Somebody else has recently kind of uh, graced the stage over at um, the Corner House with No Blood, taken from her Land EP. Yeah, that's uh, I, I actually, uh, I've done sound for Elaine a few times. Um, and it's always great, but when you're doing, when you're, as a sound engineer, you're always kind of, like I was just concentrating on the sound. Mm. And uh, it was only recently, there was the Angry Mom uh, collective yeah, did a gig inside in the uh, up, upstairs in the roundy, and I was doing sound for it, and and that was the first time that I actually got to listen to the lyrics and actually properly listen to it. And this song in particular really struck me, like just the mm. the, the, the the just the the the, the uh, what's the word the lyric just the lyrical quality of it is so great, yeah. you know, and the human aspect of it as well because the power of her voice and the clarity of her voice is there. Mm. The attitude is there. It's when you kind of listen to the honesty of it. I remember talking about it with her on a very early episode of this podcast, actually. Available for listening on demand on redextra.ie, where she was talking about the influences behind No Blood, the story of Anne Lovett, um, and just kind of how, you know, that all started to happen around the time of the repeal referendum and how Mm. performing that song 
at various fundraisers for the repeal effort around the county kind of made her feel and just kind of the whole the whole kind of moment that it was like again there's no you can't fuck with honesty like that and it's very like you know in terms of it's so admirable to be able to be so uh, candid Mm. or so straightforward in terms of lyrics because if if anything I kind of come from the opposite school of thought where I tried to kind of disguise them as much as possible (laughs) but it's not straightforward as in poe face as straightforward as in just kind of there's the poetic quality to Mm. it there is all of them that that Mm. Uh, you also have Lamp uh, a seldom spotted presence on this show unfortunately yeah. with Brick Ticker always talk of the boys coming back together at some stage periodic teasers of yeah. rehearsals and all this fingers crossed what do you make of it oh I'd, I'd love to like the uh, actually when we were in Daphne in the attic I'm sure we played yeah we played with Lamp in Limerick on Paddy's Day yeah um, uh, and uh, I was just blown away by it you know um, and even that even Sagittarius that album I mean I listened to, I must have listened to that about a hundred times Walking Forward Looking Back is one of my favourite songs out of this town yeah full yeah. stop yeah it's just so good yeah and even talking about musicianship I mean the two the two boys because uh, yeah. it was only the two of them now when when, I, when we would have been playing with them uh, Emmett is some some musician though yeah yeah. oh god oh, sure. I've, I've an awful soft spot for Emmett now I must say <laughs> all of us have yeah he would have been uh you know, his father plays in the corner house. There's that connection. I mean, Cork Theory is so things, small. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Cork is so small. Throw a stone and you hit somebody, you know? Yeah, yeah. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about Lolek's upcoming gig at the Roundy. But first, this is Elaine Malone with No Blood here on Red on Red.
Lamp with Brick Ticker here on Red on Red, still joined in Studio 4 by Aaron McGowan of Lolek and The Corner House. And just before we wrap up this episode, July 12th, Friday night at the Roundy, um, just off the back of the release of new single Sink In, Lolek playing upstairs. For those that haven't seen Lolek before, or maybe haven't seen them in this um, 
in this iteration. Uh, what can you expect? Um, well, the, I'm really looking forward now to the gig on the 12th. We have, um, like, visuals and stuff would be a, a big part of our set, so I kind of make the visuals uh, myself, and they kind of basically, you know, throughout the, throughout the set, it runs through the colour uh, throughout um, the colour wheel. Mm. But I haven't usually... Uh, I haven't, we haven't had like a proper lighting rig at a gig yet but on the 12th um, I've hired a very good LX um, technician I suppose you could call it uh, so we're actually going to rent in lights we're going to do the the whole shebang whatever the hell you want to call it um, so it's going to be a gig really worth seeing Like, um, and it's myself and my sister uh, our little side project we're going to be supporting What's, uh, which one is it though? it's Amalo it's called it's only a, it's only a kind of a I mean, it's been out for a little while, but it's 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 basically invented as something that we can support low like with. So it's kind of uh, this is it, so you build your own bills. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, this is how much this is how much of a control freak I am. I can't I can't even give the support slot to someone else. Mm. Um, no, I'm joking. I'm I, I am joking. Um, but uh, no, I, I'm I'm really looking forward to. It. We're playing Wheelands the night after as well. So um, uh, a two leg deal. Yeah. Yeah. And if anyone's at Body and Soul this Saturday night, we're going to be playing in the Orchard uh, Lounge. What time? Uh, I don't know if I can say it yet. I don't know if the stage times have been released, but it's it's mm. night. Let's say night. When it's getting, just before it's getting dark, let's yeah. say. <laughs> well, this goes out on a Wednesday night. So for more information on the stage times for Body and Soul, please be sure to check out Body and Soul on social media. Check out uh, Lolek on social media. And Sync In is available across all of your streaming services now. Uh, is there a digital download release? There isn't. It's up on Spotify, though. Okay. So, um, kind of I'm, embracing the non-ownership model now. Exactly. I mean, it, it cost, aside from uh, lots of time and possibly a few grey hairs, it didn't cost me anything to make because I did it myself. So yeah. the public are free to enjoy it at their leisure. <laughs> and what time on Friday, July the 12th, can they expect to enjoy yourselves in person? So the doors are at 9 o'clock. Uh, support me on, I think, about half nine, ten. Yeah. So, and tickets, are, tickets will be available... Um, uh, in about a couple of days uh, from upstairs in the roundy and behind the bar in the corner house so it's 7 euro 7 so, quid in yeah it's nothing nothing at all it's a negligible amount of money no especially not for supporting local music that about wraps it up for this week's episode of Red on Red Cork's new music podcast from Red FM and redextra.ie thank you very much to Aaron McGowan of Lolek and the corner house for joining us this episode Thank you very much. And thank you very much for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please take the time to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple and Google Podcasts. Subscribe to us on Spotify as well as other podcasting platforms. Share it on your social media and make sure to check out the artists featured online or at an upcoming gig. And if you'd like more Irish tunes, please be sure to listen in to Green on Red on Sunday nights with Alan O'Donovan for the best of all that is Irish on Cork's Red FM, 104 to 106. Aaron, you are leaving us with the single in question. Uh, this is Lolek with Sink In. How did this one come together? This is... Uh, usually, I'm, usually I'm very kind of uh, uh, secretive about what songs are about. This song is basically just about um, uh, being something of a drunken disgrace and promising yourself that you're going to let the lesson sink in at some point, you know, that mm. you're actually going to and of course inevitably not changing ways. So it's it's about as cliched in terms of lyrical influence as it could be. Um, it's not about being in love with someone, therefore it must be about abuse of some form of... <laughs> Rock and roll, baby. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, enjoy it. <laughs> we'll get straight to it. So, this is Lolek with Sink In. This has been Red on Red and we'll talk to you next week.
Thread on Red.